Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, August 30th, we are beginning the book of Habakkuk on our series, Majoring in the Minors. In today's text, which is Habakkuk 1, verses 1 to 11, we will hear the prophet cry out to the Lord concerning the perversion of justice in Judah. Why would the Lord allow that? And the Lord's answer might be a bit surprising. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dan Speckard. Pastor Speckard serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church and School in North Judson, Indiana. Pastor Speckard, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you for having me. So, Pastor Specker, we're starting the book of Habakkuk today as a part of a walk through several of the prophets that find themselves in the same context as Jeremiah. We spent three months in the book of Jeremiah. While we're in that thought process, we we know the history of who the world powers are and what's going on in the world at the time. We're picking up some of those minor prophets as well. Yes, or last week we ended with we took Obadiah as the first one of those. Today we're starting Habakkuk, who also finds himself in that same context. Now, from the first book or from the first verse of the book of Habakkuk, you might not know that, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. But as we read through the book, we we read the, the details there, it does appear that that's his context. So with that in mind, Pastor Specker, we're going to introduce the book today. What can you tell us about the prophet Habakkuk and his context as we get started? Yeah, so I think the, you know, establishing the context, uh, obviously, is, is key when reading any of, any of God's word. And you can tell just by the content of uh, Habakkuk's complaint and the Lord's answer having to do with the Chaldeans. Uh, as you said, we are we are uh, very much in the same uh, sort of time frame uh, as Jeremiah was, and some of the other uh, some of the other prophets who were uh, proclaiming God's word to God's people uh, prior to the Babylonian conquest. But uh, you know, obviously, decades before 587 BC, when Jerusalem was you know sort of totally uh, totally raised, uh, the Babylonians are present. Uh, in the minds and hearts of God's people, uh, and you have, um, uh, you know, very much the same historical moving parts uh, as we would have seen in the the major prophet uh, Jeremiah. Uh, but I do think that that you know Habakkuk, um, in spite of having the same context as Jeremiah, uh, is a little bit of a unique prophet, uh, both within the major and the minor prophets, in that. Um, well, they are dealing with a very specific sort of thing, historical event, with the um, wickedness going on within Judah, and then uh, God's allowing the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to come in uh, as sort of the, the manifestation of his wrath. Um, Habakkuk approaches it in kind of an, a broader, abstract way, dealing more broadly with the question of evil uh, and how God responds to evil. And for that reason, uh, it is always a... a an appropriate book for Christians to be considering. And I think many of us would agree really, really timely uh, in terms of, um, uh, you know, helping Christians who are dealing with unprecedented um, suffering, difficulty, sorrow, evil, injustice, uh, helping them to think through that uh, and to see how it is that God uh, not only responds to those things, uh, but even in his dominion uh, uses those things to accomplish his uh, good and gracious will. Uh, so Habakkuk, a, a really timely book to be considering today. Yeah, I mean, he, he does have a, a different, although he's got that same time period as Jeremiah, the way that he approaches it and the way that his prophecy even works, this book that we're going to be reading, is does have a different feel to it. He asks of God some of those questions that I think were in the background of the book of Jeremiah, but weren't necessarily explicitly laid out. And so it's, I think it's a, a fantastic companion piece to that book of Jeremiah because, you know, we read in the book of Jeremiah and over and over again, the prophet Jeremiah is saying the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. And, and the people there don't believe and they are, you know, judged because of that. But always kind of in the back of your mind, at least as a Christian reader, I think there's this question, well, 
why is the Lord going to use the Babylonians to do this? How does how does that work? And that's going to be a big part of what Habakkuk's going to deal with. We're not going to see as much of it in our text today, but I, I think it's a great companion piece and, and really digging into some of those questions that the book of Jeremiah brings up, but doesn't necessarily answer. So in terms of, you mentioned Habakkuk being unique, and I think he does have that feel to it. What else would you say is unique about the prophet Habakkuk? Yeah, so one thing that's not totally unique, but um, something you don't encounter too often in the prophets, uh, is the uh, at the beginning of the book, you have this structure where the prophet is asking questions of God. Uh, and, and we'll see that right off the bat in verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Um, not the only place in Scripture we see that happening. We see you know see that in the Psalms. We see that, that in Job. Um, I, I think you even have some of that in Jeremiah, if I recall. Uh, but the sort of the actual dialogue, the call and response between this prophet who is hurting uh, and God who is responding, um, it's not something we encounter all that regularly. And I think, uh, and I have to be careful here because I told myself I wouldn't talk about this for the entire hour we're together, but I I just think it is so powerful a thing to behold, uh, God responding to the complaint of his people, uh, so powerful and so important for us today, for Christians who maybe particularly in our context, um, I think sort of faithful Christians have fallen into the trap of thinking that to be a faithful Christian is to, you know, always be smiling, always be happy, um, always sort of be uh, triumphantly, you know, demonstrating the, the peace and the joy of God. And certainly that's a good thing when we, um, uh, when we do that, but that prohibits us sometimes from actually dealing with suffering and sorrow uh, head on. And I think maybe sometimes Christians think that, you know, we can't, we can't really talk about those things or we can't really feel those things. Uh, we can't, uh, we certainly can't uh, question God uh, as to why he's allowing certain things to happen. I mean, how dare we, uh, that would betray the, you know, the gospel victory uh, that we're supposed to be proclaiming at all times. And, and this is a, you know, a really uh, great opportunity for us to look and see how, how the prophet's, dares to question God, um, like a child might question his or her parent, and how God answers uh, as a father would. Um, you know, God is is maybe a little bit uh, a little bit blunt with Habakkuk as he is with with Job uh, and, and in some other places where people question his purposes. Uh, but he does respond. He does allow his children to complain, uh, and I think. Uh, gives us a little bit of leeway as New Testament Christians who are who are dealing with uh, you know any number of real life uh, large scale and small scale problems. Uh, give us some leeway to in our own prayer life and our own devotional life um, have a relationship with God that is real enough and deep enough that we might even dare cry out, "How long, O oh God?" or "Why, O oh God?" Uh, and trust that He will answer uh, through His Word. Um, but, you know, I think that's that's maybe the thing that, as we delve into Habakkuk here, uh, is is first and foremost on my mind, um, how appropriate the sort of the structure of the opening um, chapter and, and a little bit in chapter two with this back and forth, how appropriate that is uh, for us to be forming our faith according to today. I think that's a, a fantastic insight. I won't let you spend the whole hour on it, but I mean, I think, especially having just come out of the book of Lamentations, we we did take Obadiah on Friday, but Lamentations was right before that. And Lamentations is full of a lot of questions, kind of like we're going to see Habakkuk say here, but in Lamentations, you don't hear the Lord respond. In Habakkuk, you do. And I think that's a, a fantastic insight that the fact that God responds to his prophet's complaint yeah, I mean, it shows that when we have these questions of God, when when He seems absent, when it's as if He's not listening, when when He's not, when what we see is not what He says in His Word, like what do you do with that? Well, you you talk to Him, and God can take it. And now, granted, He's going to answer you, and and you need to hear His answer, but to hide it or to pretend that it's not there or to deal with it in some other way. That that's not the example that we have from the from the prophet Habakkuk or any other place in the scriptures. It's it's always to take these complaints to the Lord because, I mean that he's your God. Take it to him. Let him be the one to to answer. Listen to what he says in his word, but let him be the one to give you the answer in his word. I, I do think that's a a fantastic point. Maybe if you want to respond one more. That way we don't take the whole whole hour. But I I do think that's really important insight that you've given us. 
Yeah, I, and, and I just think that uh, as pastors, you and I know um, how many of our people are, uh, you know, just constantly, uh, there's constantly someone in a congregation struggling. Um, and I think, you know, congregations do well to, to just bear that in mind that uh, much as we would like for life to be sort of this unending party, uh, and maybe there's a temptation to have our, uh, you know, what you might call our religiosity or our spirituality or our worship um, reflect the idea that life can just be an unending party. Uh, you know, that's it just doesn't bear out in reality. The reality is that people get sick and people uh, sin against one another and people are lonely and people are hurting. Uh, and very often uh, people who are faithful Christians have questions of, you know, what is the purpose of this? What is the meaning of this? Uh, and we don't do anybody any favors by sort of, uh, you know, giving the impression that Christians can't uh, feel the way they feel uh, as though God isn't able to handle uh, our feelings, even when we're misguided, uh, even when we don't see the full picture. And that's what's very much happening in Habakkuk. Uh, you know, God's response to Habakkuk is very much, um, you know, I can see farther than you. I have a plan that you're not aware of. Um, uh, you know, even if that's the case, God allows the prophet to utter his complaint and then he responds. And then, of course, the key for us uh, is unlike the prophet Habakkuk, we don't we don't wait for uh, new direct revelation um, uh, in the way that he would have. But rather, we have the full testimony of the scriptures. And I think that's that's really, really key, even as we lift up this this wonderful example of a dialogue between the prophet and God Almighty. Uh, we, we do need to bear in mind that God has uh, given his full revelation to his people through his word. And even as we, uh, you know, tell Christians, pray to God, complain to God even uh, in the same breath, uh, it has to be. And then look and see how God responds in his word. Look to see what the Lord has done and is doing through his son. And if we sort of keep that at the center, uh, the prophet Habakkuk is extremely helpful, kind of modeling uh, how Christians deal with uh, difficult things in their own lives. Now that that back and forth between Habakkuk and the Lord is, as you said, chapter one and into chapter two. In terms of the the structure of Habakkuk after that, what else are we going to see? Yeah, it's kind of a diverse book in terms of the uh, the, the type of um, uh, prophecy we have. So yeah, we have this back and forth, uh, sort of two sets of uh, questions and responses. Uh, uh, they're up through chapter two, verse um, uh, verse two, uh, and then, or, or no, further into chapter two it is. But then after that, you have this uh, beginning in verse six, you have this um, kind of the outflow of the conversation that took place between Habakkuk and God. Uh, you have uh, Habakkuk prophesying regarding, um, based on the conversation we just had, in a sense, you have these series of five, um, five woes or five curses. Uh, where Habakkuk is uh, describing what God's justice looks like uh, when it finally does pour forth, and when God's justice pours forth, these are the people who need to uh, who need to beware. And unlike some of the other prophets, where you know you might have had an individual or a nation sort of referenced specifically, uh, the way that Habakkuk lays out these these curses, these woes, I mean, for sure, is to the Chaldeans, uh, the Babylonians whom God raised up. But he does it in such a way that you can really apply these uh, woes, as they're called, uh, to you know any of the unjust, any of the people who behave like the Chaldeans in their idolatry or in their self-sufficiency. Um, uh, you know, you kind of see how God's justice works itself out amongst those who reject His primacy. Um, and then you get into chapter three, and you have this really beautiful uh, uh, prayer. It's essentially. Uh, essentially a psalm. I mean, there's a note about a musical setting, uh, uh, a little bit cryptic. Uh, those those musical settings always are. We don't we don't know a ton about that, perhaps. Uh, but Habakkuk chapter three would fit right in uh, with the the Psalter uh, elsewhere in God's Word, and um, you have kind of this reflection upon God's sovereignty, His power, uh, how it is that God ultimately um, deals with the problem of evil Himself, such that we can wind up rejoicing in the Lord, uh, even in the midst of suffering, we can rejoice. Uh, so in three chapters, you're really, uh, really three distinct types of prophecy, I guess you would say. Uh, but 
um, all of it hinging together on, you know, Habakkuk recognizes evil in the world, asks God what he's going to do about it. God uh, reveals at least a portion of his purposes, his plan, uh, and Habakkuk winds up trusting all the more deeply uh, in the uh, gracious will of his God. So very, very interesting book. Uh, certainly. As we go through this book, what are some of the big themes that we're going to encounter in Habakkuk? I think the biggest theme is is that of uh, theodicy, right? So the idea of, um, uh, it's a word we, we give to the, what's sometimes called the problem of evil, which is not just the sort of the recognition that bad things happen in the world, uh, but rather it's the question of how can bad things happen if we presuppose a uh, perfectly good, perfectly powerful, perfectly present, and perfectly knowing God. Um, if God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, how does he let bad things happen? Um, and that's a question that is not unique to the uh, the scriptures or to the Christian religion. Other religions attempt to sort of grapple with that as well. Uh, but I think that Christians are uh, maybe uniquely pressed to answer it, given what we claim about God. Uh, we uniquely claim uh, that God is um, entirely loving, that God is love. Um, we, you know, we're not like other religions that sort of um, uh, deal with the idea of a, a vengeful God or a hateful God. That's not how we see God described in the scriptures. And yet God does allow uh, people to get sick and, and bad people to prosper. How do we deal with that? Uh, that's what theodicy is all about. And I think Habakkuk is a, um, uh, a great book for exploring that. Um, other themes, you know, include sort of the, the concept of divine justice, uh, you know, what it looks like when God, um, you know, if you think back to Genesis, here's the blood of, uh, of Abel crying from the ground. I mean, God cannot ignore sin. Uh, just as God is merciful, so also is God just. These things demand a response from the creator based on what he has revealed of himself to us. Uh, so how does he respond? What does that look like? Uh, of course, as New Testament Christians, we're going to be thinking in terms of the cross of Christ, where God finally and totally uh, deals with, um, uh, sort of lays out his response to the reality of sin. Uh, but some of those themes are present in Habakkuk as well. Um, the uh, Maybe the, the last theme um, I would highlight is just the, the difference between the perspective of humanity and the perspective of God. Uh, and we, we sometimes describe that as, as the, the timing of the Lord, um, we have our sort of understanding and we expect things to happen according to uh, a certain sort of pattern of, uh, of time. Um, our time is not the Lord's time. Uh, we do not see as uh, far nor as deep as he sees. Um, and so an aspect of, of faith is trusting his timing, trusting his, his steadfastness, even if we don't see it playing out in the way that we think it should understanding that he has plans, the uh, the details of which we might just not be privy to. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, on paper, that's really, really easy to just say, okay, trust God. Uh, in real life, that's that's can be a challenge, and Habakkuk helps us through that. Well, let's go ahead. Let's jump right into the text of Habakkuk then. We're, we're in chapter one this morning, and as, as we've been saying, there's a back and forth here between Habakkuk and the Lord. So we'll start by reading what Habakkuk's question of the Lord is. This is Habakkuk 1, verse 1 and following. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. That's Habakkuk 1 verses 1 through 4. The Lord will answer beginning in verse 5. Pastor Specker, just that first verse, a very brief introduction from the prophet, not nearly as detailed as we get in some other prophets, but a little bit to talk about perhaps, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, that term oracle, what is there any significance to that? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing that uh, uh, oracle, really the, the Hebrew word means burden, uh, which is not something that I'd, I'd um, uh, really dealt with in quite a while, but I do remember learning in Hebrew, you see that the, the language of 
of Oracle uh, used elsewhere in the scriptures, not, not all that commonly. Uh, and it's referred to as a burden. And very often oracles in the scriptures have to do with judgment against uh, foreign nations. Um, uh, typically an oracle has to do with, um, you know, what our Lord is going to do with the Chaldeans or the Assyrians or, or whomever. Um, uh, in, in the context of Habakkuk, uh, we might recognize that even as this oracle does sort of follow that pattern, Habakkuk has the burden of, um, you know, sort of proclaiming judgment against the Babylonians whom God is, is raising up, uh, even as the, the prophet is speaking. Uh, nevertheless, a lot of this, and we see it in the first verses here, um, could just as easily apply to the Judeans themselves. Um, I think that's an important point to remember, that, that this isn't just Habakkuk talking about Babylon, uh, that a lot of what Habakkuk is struggling with, um, with this oracle, the burden of it, uh, needs to be applied maybe even first to the Judeans themselves. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's where Habakkuk's question starts is is with the Judeans themselves. Although I guess we'll, we'll talk about that. One more thing, just briefly there in that first verse, the, Habakkuk calls himself a prophet. And, and we use that word regularly as Christians. We talk about the prophets, but maybe it's worth our time just to define that. What is what is a prophet, scripturally speaking? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I teach our confirmation students that a, a prophet is a man chosen by God to share God's word. Uh, with the people to whom God intends it to go. And so, um, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, we, we, we think of prophet, prophets as just telling the future. Well, that might be it. Uh, and, of course, we, we know of cases where the prophets do uh, foretell things that are to come. But really, uh, the prophet has the privilege of proclaiming that which God has revealed um, that the people wouldn't otherwise know. Um, so the prophet isn't just sort of making human observations, but rather the prophet is speaking God's word uh, according to God's directive, as God has given it to him to speak. Um, and in that sense, you know, we, as, as we teach our confirmation students, uh, there's a similarity there to the pastoral office. Now, pastors obviously don't receive direct revelation uh, in the way that the prophets did. Uh, pastors have the word of God, as, as we said before, sort of the sum total uh, of God's revealed word. Um, but that, that process of application, sharing it with the people, proclaiming it to the people, applying it to the people through law and gospel, uh, that's what the uh, the prophets were doing, uh, even as the pastors uh, in our church do it yet today. So the prophet begins in verse two by asking a couple of questions. And the, the two questions are, how long shall I cry for help and you won't hear me? Or how long, well, I assume the how long is repeated, cry to you violence and you do not save. What, what I mean, take us into these questions that Habakkuk is asking. What's, what is the, the complaint that he's bringing up to God? Now, these are really important questions because th this is what makes it a theodicy. Uh, Habakkuk is not just uh, questioning um, or, or is not just complaining about evil um, in general. Uh, he's complaining about evil that God does not seem to be responding to. Right? He's complaining about bad things are happening and the bad people are getting away with it. Uh, you know, that, that is a it, it's one thing to uh, to complain about the weather or even maybe to complain about an illness or something where you know, bad things happen, what can you do about it? It's quite a different level of, of frustration and anger and complaint when uh, people are doing bad things and nobody is is responding to that bad. Um, and that's that's really what uh, what Habakkuk is uh, is is dealing with here. And you know Luther, when he we, we have one of his lectures on the prophet Habakkuk, uh, from 1525, you know, Luther points out that, that, you know, some of the, the church fathers like Jerome immediately kind of think of this in terms of what the Chaldeans are doing. But the way that Habakkuk talks about it, uh, the way that Habakkuk is frustrated with God's seeming inaction, uh, Luther would say suggests that this is really, uh, at least initially, having more to do with the rulers of Judah. Um, Habakkuk is prophesying after the last good king uh, of Judah has perished, uh, and now you have this run of, of wicked kings uh, up into the, uh, the Babylonian conquest, um, you know, the prophet would expect, we would expect, uh, God to not let his kings and his people get away with injustice and evil. Um, the Chaldeans might do that, and God might ignore it because they're not his people. But how is God going to let this happen amongst us and not respond? And I think that's sort of the, the tone of this opening complaint. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So it's not, again, it's not just the fact that evil is there, but that evil is there and God is seemingly inactive. And and even more than that, that he's inactive toward the cries of his people. I think that that's also part of Habakkuk's complaint is not only how long will you let this go on, but how long will you let me keep calling out to you about it? How long do I have to bring it to your attention before you do something about it? It's, it's not just the the inactivity on God's part in terms of the the injustice, but it's also the the seemingly unanswered prayers that and again this is where I think Habakkuk can start to to scare our pious sensibilities. What do you what do you mean God doesn't hear? And yet from from where Habakkuk stands, that's sure what it look what it looks like that God isn't listening. That's I think that's another part of his complaint as well. Yeah, very much. I mean this is a prayer of faith. You you ask this of somebody with whom you have a real relationship, uh, somebody who you actually expect to have done something. Um, when when God doesn't is seemingly not doing something, then you complain. You know, I, th- I think it's uh, uh, you're right. It is sort of an affront to uh, maybe our pious sensibilities, but it's it's healthy uh, so long as we remain open to to letting God respond through His Word. And Habakkuk does. That's what uh, what we have coming up. Yeah, and we are going to pick that up more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Habakkuk chapter one with Pastor Dan Speckard. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 30th. We are studying Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 with Pastor Dan Speckard. He serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church and School in North Judson, Indiana. Pastor Speckard, prior to the break, we started looking at the complaint that Habakkuk lays before the Lord. In verse 3, it strikes me as, as Habakkuk says, Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? This matter of idly looking at wrong... It's like Habakkuk is saying, Lord, you are allowing this evil to happen. You know, we we make a theological distinction, and rightly so, that there is a difference between what God causes and what God allows. But I, I find it interesting that as Habakkuk is in the throes of complaining about this, he says what God allows, you know, he just throws that as a part of his complaint as if it's no different. And I think that's maybe the key is that he throws it to God. Why are you letting this happen? Why Why is this happening to me and you're not doing anything he puts it all before God's feet at this moment. Yeah, you know that's a fantastic point because when you're when you're in the midst of the suffering yourself, you know our finely tuned theological distinctions are, are a little bit hard to to you know sort of um, uh, appreciate uh, because when you're suffering, it's just suffering, and whether God is causing it or allowing it, either way, He could stop it, and He's not. Uh, and and that's where Habakkuk is, as you as you rightly know, it's such a great example. Uh, because in faith, he takes this to God. You know, are you going to do something about this? How are you letting this continue? Um, you know, he, he obviously stopped short, and, and it's a good thing that he did, uh, of accusing God of causing the evil. Uh, we wouldn't, uh, I mean, that would be very, very problematic. But, you know, we can be honest and say there are times when God allows his people to suffer. Uh, there are times when God allows me to suffer. Um, and as we'll see in the Lord's response, uh, you know, it's it's all a matter of of understanding and accepting uh, that he has a um, a plan not only for us as individuals, but for uh, all of his people, and indeed for all the world. Uh, the details of which we just don't, we just can't possibly know. Um, but it's an aspect of trust then to um, you know. So, for instance, if I'm diagnosed with with cancer tomorrow, it's an aspect of trust to be able to say. Um, God allowed it. It's not as though cancer defeated God and snuck one past him. No, God has allowed this, didn't cause it, but he's allowed it. 
it must be a portion of his plan for my life and for the life of uh, the people uh, that he has, he has sort of given me to influence. Um, therefore, I will trust him and move forward in that faith. Really, really easy to say. Really, really uh, easy. You know, I'm sitting here in a desk chair. I don't have cancer. Talking about hypotheticals. In the moment, if you're actually suffering in that way or in some other way, um, it's it's a it's the type of thing that you cry out to God about uh, before hopefully uh, landing in a place of trust and faith. And I think the prophet Habakkuk helps us to get there. As he continues his complaint into verse four, he gets some pretty vivid imagery. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth perverted. Take us into that imagery. And how does this help us with that question of, are we talking about Judeans and Chaldeans? Yeah, I think that language is just to me so, so incredibly powerful and so incredibly pertinent because uh, you know, whatever, whatever you think about current events, uh, there are people on every side of the political spectrum right now who, for one reason or another, um, they not only feel as though bad things are happening, uh, they feel as though bad things are happening and the evildoers are getting away with it. And that's something, you know, from the our earliest days as children on the playground, uh, it's one thing to encounter a bully. It's quite another to, to see a bully um, continually... Uh, sort of do bad things and the teacher is not stepping in or maybe sometimes as it so often happens uh, the bully is actually uh, one way or another making himself look good we know he's bad but he's looking good in the eyes of the authority figures i mean that is that is such a a source of outrage uh, amongst people of of every place and every time uh, when the law is not being executed when it seems as though justice isn't going to happen um, uh, you know, that language of the law being paralyzed, I, I think just strikes to the core of something that makes us most mad in this world. And that's why I think that, uh, you know, I side with Luther and thinking that Habakkuk here has, uh, has in mind the Judeans at least as much as the Chaldeans, because again, you would expect uh, a bunch of, uh, amongst a bunch of, you know, godless Babylonians, uh, you would expect, um, injustice. Uh, you you might it's not to say that the injustice is good, but that's what you get with the Babylonians. But with God's people who have God's word and God's law, uh, surely there's going to be a higher standard uh, of um, uh, not only of behavior, but even more importantly of God's response uh, to our behavior. Uh, and you know, Habakkuk is just is just furious here uh, that God is allowing the wicked to be, um, uh, or I should say, allowing the righteous to be surrounded by the wicked. Uh, and yet justice is not being done. Mm, right. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is happening. That, that term paralyzed is very striking. You know, you're, you're not moving Lord. What's, what's going on. You're just, you're standing still. You're lying there as if you're powerless, please do something. This is the the complaint that Habakkuk lays before the Lord and the Lord answers beginning in verse five. So we'll pick up the text again. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. That takes us from Habakkuk 1, verse 5 through verse 11. So, Pastor Speckard, now, in the Hebrew, there's no quotation marks, and the speaker is not explicitly indicated, but based on what is said in verse five, it clearly is the Lord now answering, not Habakkuk asking anymore. And and he starts by inviting Habakkuk to look among the nations and see, and, and he tells Habakkuk, I'm going to do something, or I am doing something, that if I didn't tell you, you wouldn't believe it. What? How does the Lord begin this answer? 
Well, I, I think it's a, a great example of, of why it is that God doesn't always uh, reveal his full plan to his people, because the people wouldn't um, uh, wouldn't necessarily agree with it or appreciate it uh, in, in real time. I mean, I think uh, so much of what we're going to have from this point forward, uh, God is responding to a back complaint by saying, look, I'm I'm right. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. You're about to see, uh, you know, you were worried about uh, inactivity. You're about to see some activity in the form of these these Chaldeans or these Babylonians. Uh, but, um, you know, it's not the activity we would expect. It's not the type of people we would expect God to uh, be using. These certainly aren't allies of God in the um, sort of the the, the long term sense. They're they're, they, they don't have God's word and they, they don't behave like God's people. Uh, and yet our Lord is going to use them uh, as part of his grander plan uh, for his chosen. Um, you know, I, I think there is sort of a sense in which uh, Habakkuk would be astounded. Uh, he would wonder at how it is that God is dealing with the problem of evil that Habakkuk had just finished complaining about. Um, and that's how it always goes, or maybe not always, but that's how it often goes. Uh, you know, we cry out to God for answers, and then the answer we receive isn't necessarily the answer we want. Uh, but again, that's the that's why these things must be done in faith, uh, trusting that the answer God gives is the answer we need, uh, even if it's not what we necessarily desire. Um, and then as you, you hear this description of the Chaldeans, uh, it just it gets deeper and deeper into the sort of the wondrous nature of it. Um, you know, we wouldn't believe that God could use such a people for a good and gracious cause. Um, it's a reminder, of course, of God's sovereign power, his might, uh, that even the most wicked, uh, and the Babylonians were, were quite wicked, as described here, uh, even they wind up serving the purposes of our all-powerful and all-loving God. Yeah, I mean, I think this this verse five is a really important verse in our text today, and really probably the whole book of Habakkuk. This the importance of God's word revealing this, because yeah, how could Habakkuk have guessed that the Lord was going to use the Chaldeans? And as well as we talk through these verses, we're going to see just how wicked they are. That that's who the Lord would use to deal with the problem of injustice. I mean, I don't I don't think Habakkuk ever would have thought of that in his own mind. And then even when the Lord tells him that how strange it's going to sound. And, and that's where the, I mean, not only do you have the necessity of God's word here, but the necessity of faith receiving God's word that when he does reveal what he is doing, no matter how strange it may seem or unbelievable, it might seem to our human hearers that, that we need to, to trust that what God says is true. It is good. It is right. And, and to, place our faith in that. I mean, I think, I think this verse is a, a pretty key verse for probably those reasons and, and probably more. Yeah. And it, it just, everything comes down to trust. Um, you know, when, when uh, uh, you have an injury and the doctor says, okay, we're going to heal you uh, by cutting you open uh, in order to deal with this. Well, it seems counterintuitive that I'm going to get better uh, by actually receiving further wounds. Uh, you have to trust the doctor. You have to trust that he knows what he's doing uh, and that, you know, this one step backwards is going to allow us to take two steps forward. Uh, but that that depends on the doctor having sort of a broader sense of, uh, you know, medicine and, and health and the human body than I personally had. And because he's the doctor, I trust him and I let him do that uh, if, I, if I need an operation. Uh, in the same way, um, you know, God is describing a plan here that uh, it's not going to go easy on the people of God. As you know, you finished Jeremiah recently. Uh, we know uh, what the Babylonian conquest and captivity looks like. That's that's no picnic uh, for for the uh, Judeans and the residents of Jerusalem. Um, that's a, that's an ugly, dark, horrible thing. Uh, God is saying here that He's allowing that to take place to accomplish His purposes and responding to evil and seeing justice done. And as we know. Uh, as a people who know the end of the story, uh, even to bring about the the savior of the whole world, um, you, you, I mean, you, you're in a position of just having to to either uh, reject God as good, or trust that God is good, uh, whether or not it looks like that to us. 
Um, again, easy to say, hard to do, but that's the nature of faith at times. That's right. Paul Paul actually picks this verse up, Habakkuk 1 verse 5, in a sermon that he preaches in Acts chapter 13. He's in Pisidian Antioch at the time, and, and he's gone through and, and preached, I mean, I think a pretty typical sermon for Paul, where he's, he's proclaimed Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the one who died and was raised for the salvation of sinners. And then he he closes with this verse from Habakkuk 1. This is Acts 13, verse 40. He says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. It sounds to me like like Paul is taking this verse from Habakkuk and applying it in, in a way you might say the theology of the cross that when we, when I look at Christ crucified, I would not think that that's how God chooses to save the world, but it is how he chooses to save the world. And, and Paul here uses this verse from Habakkuk, it sounds like, to to say to those people listening, I know this may not look like much to you, but trust that what God is giving you here in Christ crucified is really for your salvation. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, how that, that sort of is the human response even to the grand gospel of God's word that uh, it's, it's sort of like, really God, a babe in a manger? You know, really God, uh, a criminal on a cross? Uh, really God, uh, bread and water and wine? I mean, the, these things seem so woefully insufficient. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it's nothing we would have planned for ourselves um, because I think that is an aspect of this this dialogue with God. We ask questions and we know how we would answer. We know what we would do. Um, and so often God does something different and we're left um, either having to reject it or trust it. And uh, yeah, that is very much the theology of the cross, that, uh, that through incarnational, sacrificial, sacramental means, uh, God brings about uh, the salvation of individual and and world, um, you know, it's it's an astounding thing, and uh, even when told about it, uh, there's a sense in which the gospel is hard to believe. Uh, thankfully, the Holy Spirit is persistent uh, and gives us the faith required uh, to receive the grace that God pours out in astounding, wondrous, unexpected ways. Now, the astounding thing that the Lord is going to do in the book of Habakkuk is judgment, and particularly judgment through the Chaldeans. And the rest of our text for today really digs into who these Chaldeans are and describes them in pretty vivid detail. In verse 6, they're called a bitter and hasty nation, marching through the breadth of the earth, seizing dwellings not their own. Pastor Swagger, begin to, to take us into this description of the Chaldeans. Remind us of, of a bit of the, their history in terms of how they rose to power in the ancient world. Yeah, so if you know, having just wrapped up uh, Jeremiah and, and, and Lamentations, uh, you, your listeners are familiar by now with the Babylonians and, and, and you know, who these people are, and just how um, uh, you know their strength is matched by their wickedness uh, and by their pride. Uh, they are a force to be reckoned with in the ancient world. I mean, they're they're um, you know, I was as we were studying Jeremiah some time ago, I was kind of I'd forgotten just how how inconsequential God's people were in the grand scheme of things, of sort of the geopolitical reality uh, there in the um, Eastern Mediterranean, that, that really it was Babylon was contesting with Egypt for, uh, for that, uh, that part of the world. And, um, and you know, they had, um, uh, they themselves had brought down the Assyrians. I mean, the, these were, um, these were a serious, serious bunch of um, marauding warriors um, and, uh, you know, the, the type of people that, that Israel or, or the Judeans were right to fear, um, every, every ounce of detail that Habakkuk gives in describing them or that the Lord uh, provides to Habakkuk here uh, comes as no surprise to those of us who, you know, we just read uh, about uh, there near the end of Jeremiah, what it looks like when they finally come in and, and uh, raise the temple and kill the kid or um, take the king captive and kill his sons. You know, this is... Um, an apt description. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of, a, in some ways, the Babylonians are, uh, even for us yet today, kind of the archetype of sort of pagan power uh, in that they, 
um, it's hard to find the redeeming qualities that we often find with the Greeks or with the Romans. Um, the Babylonians, uh, they were just a, um, as, as the prophet describes here, um, kind of like a, a wind from the east, uh, bitter, hasty, prideful, violent. Uh, they do their thing and then they move on. Um, hard to find words adequate to, to describe the fear one has in dealing with a people like that. Yeah, I mean, Babylon in particular, as we close the book of Jeremiah, those last couple of chapters that deal with the oracle to Babylon, you do see how, it, you know, they stand in for the enemy of God's people. And, and that's picked up in the book of Revelation. So we see a similar description here. There's a couple of things I think we can we pick out. We've got about nine minutes left to, to look at some of these descriptions. And some of it, I think, anticipates how Habakkuk is going to take this answer as unsatisfactory as we're going to see in the next text. Uh, For example, in verse seven, after saying that the Chaldeans are dreaded and fearsome, the Lord says their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So, I mean, that qualifier, it's their justice that they're going to come. It's not necessarily the Lord's, although I guess it is going to be the Lord's justice. That's what he's he's telling Habakkuk. But you you begin to see, or example, another example in verse eleven, where the Lord says, "Their own might is their God." I think you can already start to see the Lord is being very honest with Habakkuk who these Babylonians are and their own shortcomings when it comes to matters of of justice and true worship. And, and yet that's the one the Lord is going to use. You, you already start to see some of the obje- objections that you can imagine Habakkuk's going to bring up next. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this it's sort of a uh, an astounding thing that God is responding to uh, Habakkuk's complaints about injustice with the justice of the Chaldeans, uh, responding to Habakkuk's complaints about uh, evil uh, with this clearly manifestly evil people. Um, I mean, it, it really feels like, uh, you know, responding to a wrong with a wrong. And uh, if you don't know the full plan, if you don't know the full story, uh, it is a difficult thing to believe. You can kind of see why the Lord was uh, reticent in revealing this uh, previously. Uh, but since Habakkuk asked, God gives the, the reply here. And um, I think it's, a you know, on, on the positive side, even as, as terrifying as these Chaldeans are, um, they are ultimately simply a, a tool in the hand of our perfect God. Uh, that as from an earthly perspective, you know, the Babylonians were obsessed with their own might and their own power. We see that with Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, uh, in other parts of the scriptures. Uh, and yet, in the hands of God, all of their might, all of their power is nothing at all, except that he uses them uh, and their power according to his will uh, and his purposes. And so it's sort of a, uh, there's some comfort to be found there, uh, as we as New Testament Christians often find ourselves maybe um uh, feeling like you know, power is so much bigger than us. Uh, powers that be in our culture and in the world uh, seem to be just just toying with us, or, or even worse, sort of maybe seem to be arrayed against us. Uh, but none of those, none of those powers can possibly storm the gates of heaven. None of those powers intimidate our God. Uh, and where we see those powers seemingly advancing against us, uh, even then we can know that every one of their seeming victories is actually according to God's plan. Uh, it doesn't make it easy. doesn't make the suffering any less painful. Uh, but we read this as a people who know how the story ends, uh, and we know that we're on the winning side, even as God's people here uh, are on the winning side. Um, easy for me to say, though. I didn't have to deal with these these horrible warriors. Certainly. And I think that that's where, you know, knowing that the fullness of the account in Christ crucified particularly is so important because that's where a text like this can ultimately drive toward comfort instead of fear. Because apart from Christ crucified, a text like this, I think, would bring about a decent amount of fear. What do you mean the Lord's bringing the Chaldeans as the enemy to take care of just, you know, this injustice? They're just going to bring about more injustice. What is he up to? And I mean, you know, there are all these questions again, and it's only yeah. when we have the the clarity of Christ crucified, I think that any of this can ultimately bring us any comfort at all. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, th- that is the uh, the joy of uh, reading the scriptures and indeed of living our lives uh, as a people who already know, uh, the people to whom God has already revealed 
the sum total of his purposes and his plan. Now, we don't always see it perfectly in our lives, and there are uh, aspects of our existence that remain mysterious to us, uh, but we never have to doubt uh, that uh, everything is heading towards the last day on which God's victory is perfectly proclaimed. Uh, and, and there's no, it's not in doubt. It's not hanging in the balance any longer uh, whether or not God's people are victorious. They are. Uh, and we know that through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Yeah, and thanks be to God for sure. I mean, that's that's where reading Habakkuk in that full context of Scripture is, is just, it's going to be such a wonderful book to go through. Uh, Pastor Specker, we got about four minutes left on the morning. There's plenty of details we can pick up from the text if you'd like. Uh, but it, just as we close this morning, help us to, to wrap things up. And, and again, point us from this text and, and even the themes we're going to see in Habakkuk as a whole toward Christ crucified our Savior. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for me, the, the final two verses we covered today, you know, at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. Um, you know, I was reminded as I read that of uh, the movie 300, which is a, a really, really ghastly movie. I don't recommend it you know, for, for Christians, probably, if, unless you're, you have to watch it very gently, as, as my dad would say. But um, uh, there's a scene where it's actually the, the Persians have come to the gates of the Spartans and the Persians are behaving in very much the same way we see the um, uh, Babylonians described here. And I, what's so funny is that it's actually, you know, these these tremendously powerful, um, to the point of laughing at kings and fortresses, you know, these people, um, they're, they're about a century away, less than a century away from meeting their own demise in the hands of another foreign empire. Who would later meet their demise to the Greeks who would be, you know, meet their demise in the face of the Romans? You know, all of these empires, um, which seem in real time, to be so important, and you might you might obviously throw in today's political scene and the real political forces at work in our world today. Um, they just they they just occupy such space in our hearts and our minds. Um, in the sight of God and in light of God's plan, um, they they they're just they're not inconsequential because obviously they affect our lives, but they're certainly not as consequential as what God is doing and what God has done. And I think that as we consider the evil of the Babylonians, um, again, I know I'm a broken record, but through the cross of Christ, uh, it's it's simply, the, it's almost like a, a photo negative uh, of the perfect power of God, that their power is less than his, and indeed he uses what they have uh, in order to accomplish his good and gracious will. Uh, that's a tremendous comfort for us. And Habakkuk, uh, he, he doesn't immediately get it, as you'll see, uh, but uh, the Lord is persistent in his calling Habakkuk to faith, repeating, trust me. Uh, and by the end, Habakkuk is, is praising the Lord. So um, really a great model for, for us as Christians today as we deal with our own, uh, you know, whatever evil we're dealing with, whether it's our own sin or some outside force, uh, God is stronger. God has a plan. We might not always see it, but we can trust that his will is good. Pastor Dan Speckard is pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church and School in North Judson, Indiana, helping us today with Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Pastor Speckard, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Habakkuk, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Or use the app. The open mic feature allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.